Shalom and welcome to this week's uh, partial lecture. And I'd like to uh, dedicate this uh, lecture in uh, memory of my cousin Yitzchak Meir Hakohen Olavasholom Ben Svi Noyach Sheyichia, who uh, passed away this passed away this week. Okay. Um, so the name, the, uh, the name of this week's uh, lecture is called Send It to the Cloud, subtitle Understanding the Rainbow. Okay, so let's start with the modern day issue, practical issue. From childhood on, cartoons always portrayed sunshine as a good and a fun day, while cloudy days as sad and boring days. However, is it actually so? Kabbalah speaks of cloudy days being a source of melancholy. One becomes more introspective on a cloudy day and on a more accountable mindset than on the sunny days. On sunny days, we are represented more as running free in the grass kind of energy. What is the deeper meaning to the clouds? Now, this lecture is based upon a mimer, a mystical teaching of the Rebbe of saintly memory that was delivered on this Shabbos in 1982, exploring the spiritual dimension of why is it that when God made the covenant with Noah to be symbolized by the rainbow, does God say, and I'm going to quote to you two verses, my rainbow I have placed in the cloud. And then he goes on later to say, and the rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will see it to remember the everlasting covenant. Okay, let's start with an introduction. The introduction, we're going to talk about the rainbow, we're going to talk about the cloud. So after the flood, Noah brings sacrifice offerings to God, and then, I quote to you the verse, and a couple of verses, and God smelled a pleasant aroma, and God said to himself, I will no longer curse the earth because of man, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will no longer smite all living things as I have done. This then led to, and God said to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I am setting my, up my covenant with you, and I will establish my covenant with you, and never again will all flesh be cut off. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant. And then he goes on to say, my rainbow I have placed in the cloud, and it shall come to pass when I cause clouds to come upon the earth, that the rainbow will appear in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant. The simple question here is that the rainbow is not a miracle. It's a natural phenomenon which most likely would have taken place before the generation of Noah and before the story of the flood and before the covenant God makes. The phenomenon of a rainbow as explained in Kabbalah and Hasidus as when sunlight hits and shines through a cloud which acts as a prism bending and splitting the light into its three primary colors. And in the parentheses I just share the primary colors that the Kabbalah talks about is green, red, and white, and then is all-inclusive in one supreme color of sapphire. Okay, and then this, the Kabbalah says, 
breaks into groups of four. So it is three times four, which is 12 colors in total. Okay. Now, in Ethics of Our Fathers, the rainbow is listed as one of the 10 things that God created. And I quote to you the words of our sages at twilight of Shabbat Eve, thus listing it as a twilight creation of an extraordinary kind. Why? What is extraordinary? If simply, and if you look it up in Zoom, it's explained that the what that it, in Kabbalah it talks about passing through the cloud, and in in science it talks about passing passing through the droplets within the cloud, within the sky, and then that retracts it and bends it. Why is this a twilight notion? We are going to need to understand what is the deeper dimension of the rainbow, and what it is, and why it is as the sign of the covenant of God. Okay, introduction number one was about the rainbow. Now let's talk about the cloud. As mentioned in the opening, God connects the sign of the rainbow with the covenant uh, with an emphasis that the rainbow will be in the cloud. Thus, another exploration that we need to work through is what is the deeper meaning behind the cloud that God keeps on mentioning, and when I bring the clouds, and I'll see the rainbow in the cloud, and I'll place the rainbow in the cloud. What's going on here? The cloud shows up as an amazing point of the Torah. For starters, we find that when God commands Moses to ascend the mountain, Mount Sinai, after the Ten Commandments, in order to receive the Torah, the tablets, the verse states, and I quote, and Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. And then it goes on to say a couple of verses later, and Moses came within the cloud. However, so that's a, a major issue. That's a very important issue, a very holy issue. However, on the other hand, the prophet sees clouds as a negative separation between us and God. As the prophet writes, I erased your transgressions like a thick cloud, and like a cloud have I erased your sins. Okay, thus there are probably two types of clouds in, in, in which one is a very of positive nature and the other not so. One last introduction is about God's change of mind. Let's see what's going on here. We need to understand what happened that God had a change of heart, so to speak, after the flood, promising, and I quote you the verse, I will no longer smite all living things as I have done. Why? Now this question becomes even greater. And what is that? We see that in Genesis, at the end of the last week's Torah portion, when God discusses why he's going to bring a flood, I want to read to you the exact words. I will blot out man whom I created from upon the face of the earth, from man to cattle to creeping things to the fowl of the heavens, for I regret I made them. Why? It's because the reason is, he says, and every imagination of the heart was only evil all the time. So we're hearing over here that the imagination of the human being from always, is always leaning and triggered with being evil. And now let's go ahead 
and look at the reason why God says he's not going to ever do that again. And the reason is, since for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Wow. The exact same reasoning, talking about mankind's innate evil intentions of imagination in his heart, is originally the reason why God did bring the flood. And then after the flood, that's the exact reason God says, I won't do that anymore. So it wasn't a change of reasoning. It was a change of heart through which to see this reasoning and fact. Is it a reason for destruction, retribution, or is it a reason for compassion? Now, what is it that happened that changed it from being a reason for destruction to becoming a reason of compassion? Okay, now let's begin the lecture. As you know, I always share with you the uh, list of Kabbalistic concepts we're going to talk about. And uh, this week, we're going to talk about four concepts, and that is number one, good clouds and bad clouds. Number two, the purification of the flood. Number three, straight light, direct light versus rebound light. And lastly, the power of teshuva. And now, let the amazement of Hasidus begin. Okay, good clouds and bad clouds. In the world of Kabbalah and Hasidus, there are two categories of clouds. One is the dark clouds, while the others are clouds which allow the sunlight to pass through them. Thus, you and I see it, especially here in Florida, that all of a sudden, in the middle of the daytime, it really gets extremely dark when the sky is blanketed with dark clouds. The verse in Psalm states, for a sun and a shield is Havaya Elohim. Havaya and Elohim are two different names of God. Havaya refers to the infinite light. Elohim refers to the finite light. So what does it mean for a sun and a shield is Havaya Elohim? What it means according to Kabbalah is that the name Elohim serves as a shield and a covering for the name of Havaya. Okay, let's understand this. The meaning behind this is that while the world can only be created through the infinite light of Havaya, nevertheless, were the worlds to have been created directly from the infinite light of Havaya, there would have been A, of infinite creations, each being infinite within itself. So it's an infinite amount of creations, every, every creation itself being infinite. And B, the world would have been completely transparent and nullified to God and the will of God. Thus, God set the finite light as a shield and as a covering to the infinite light, which would conceal the infinite light and instead give forth only a finite expression of the infinite light. Now, which has and allows for finite form, definition and identity which can choose to remain opaque obtuse and defiant to god and to god's will now in other words the shield of elohim the finite light covering and it absorbs the divinity and the job that it does by covering the divinity of the infinite light is that it allows us 
to absorb the divinity in a sustainable fashion through which we can still remain ourselves and from there have a relationship with God. We don't completely become nullified and no more able to be ourselves. This is the secret of the cloud upon Mount Sinai, through which Moses entered and received the Torah from God. Now, what is that? Meaning that the revelation of the Torah, which is of the infinite life, nature of Havaya, would have been too much for a human being, even Moses, to be able to receive in a healthy and sustainable fashion. And thus, God transmitted it to Moses through the shield of a cloud, which represents the finite covering of Elohim. So that is the positive clouds. What we see from this is that ultimately these clouds serve not as a concealment that denies us the revelation of Havaya, God in our life, but rather its sole purpose is to, yes, bring us the revelation of Havaya, but in a sustainable manner, which would be healthy and productive for us. These are the clouds of glory and holiness. Now, however, there are also dark clouds, which functions as a total concealment to deny any revelation of God, of Havaya, creating an experience of exile, impurity, and what is called in Kabbalah, the other side. These are the clouds that the prophet speaks of when he says transgressions like a thick cloud. So we now have two types of clouds. Both of them do the job of concealment, but one's job of concealment is to protect us from the infinite strength of the sun, over here, metaphorically speaking, of the infinite light of God, so that we will receive a finite, sustainable, digestible divinity that we can go on to live a productive life. Now then, there's the other clouds, which represents the other side, which is absolute opaque darkness, which does not allow for the sunlight, i.e. the divinity light, to shine through it. With this, we can understand that from after the sin of the tree of knowledge, there existed only dark clouds. And only after the world went through the flood 10 generations later from Adam to Noah, was there now once again clouds through which the light can shine through. And it is through the light passing through the clouds and its droplets that rainbows are formed. Thus, it makes sense that God is telling us that the fact that there are rainbows, which means that there are positive clouds with light passing through them, is the sign of the covenant that God will never again annihilate all of the living creatures. Now, let's go to the next concept, which is the purification of the flood. So I said that after Noah sinned, we had the dark clouds, the transgression dark clouds, and only after the flood did we once again have the light clouds. So let's understand why. What is it through the flood, which was retribution, 
which was annihilation, that we all of a sudden have back the existence of positive clouds. So to understand this, we will explore, uh, we will explore the Holy Zohar's view of the flood. Now, the Zohar refers to the flood not as waters of destruction, but as waters of Noah, May Noah. Well, first of all, the one person who is the reason for not having the flood was Noah. So why are we calling the flood waters of Noah? Deeper yet, the meaning to the name Noah is, if you look in last week's Torah portion, when it says that his father named him Noah, I will quote you the verse, chapter 6, verse 29, and he named him Noah, five, chapter 5, verse 29, and he named him Noah saying, this one will give us rest. The word Noah, Lanuach, means to rest. Thus, how can the Holy Zohar refer to the flood of destruction as the waters of Noah, the waters of rest? Another question asked is, why the whole drama of a flood, an ark, a year of an aftermath before Noah can exit the ark and begin to rebuild civilization? Why the whole Steven Spielberg drama here? If the only purpose of the flood was to, and I quote the verse, and I, behold, I am bringing the flood water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which there is the spirit of life from beneath the heavens, all that is upon the earth will perish. Now, if that's the only reason why God brought the flood, God had far easier, less dramatic, and quicker ways to accomplish this than the flood. Thus, we are taught that the flood wasn't for the sake of annihilation but for the sake of purification. So much so that when the verse says, and I quote, and the rain was upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, what it was really all about is the law that we find concerning the measurement of water that a mikvah, a ritual purification bath needs. And what is that measurement? The measure contains 40 sa'ah of water. Now, I have put a link there for you to find out what it is in gallons, exactly 40 sa'ah. But what I want to bring out is the law is connected to 40 measurements of water. Thus, the flood had the measurements of 40 days and 40 nights raining. Now, what do we see from this? The flood was to serve as a mikvah in which the world was submerged in order to purify it, to purge it from its state of impurity that it was brought to through the sins of mankind. This is why, through the purification process of the flood, the world once again had the positive clouds through which light shone through, rather than only having the dark clouds of transgressions like a thick cloud. Okay, now that we understand that the deeper mystical sense of the flood was not the retribution of annihilating all living creatures, because that could have been done in a far less dramatic, easier way, quicker way, but it was about to have the world submerged in a mikvah, purification. Now let's talk about the next Kabbalistic topic, straight light or direct light versus rebound light. 
Let us take a deeper look into the relationship between the positive clouds and the rainbow. We explained earlier that the science of the rainbow is that it is a retracted light rebounding off the cloud and its droplets of water. Well, concerning the positive clouds, right? So this is all about retracted light, rebound light. So now let's look about the clouds. The, when the God talks to us about the positive clouds in Genesis, before Adam and Eve sinned with the tree of knowledge, I want to share with you the words of the verse. And a mist ascended from the earth and watered the entire surface of the ground. Now, in Kabbalah and Hasidus, this is the experience of the rebound light. Why? Because it is ascending from below to above. It ascended from the earth to the sky. While the straight light is what comes from above to below. So now we're seeing that clouds is the concept of rebound. It is built from and ascending from below to above. Now, while what comes from above to below, that means God to us, signifies that which is perfect, nevertheless, it is precisely that which comes from below to above, from us to God, that is precious. And thus, while the direct sunlight is perfect and it's what carries the power of growth and healing and etc., nevertheless, it is the rainbow, the rebound light, that is far more precious and beautiful. And with this, we will understand what changed through Noah building an altar and bringing an offering to God, which through this, and God smelled the pleasant aroma, the verse says, through which God now had a change of heart, so to speak, in which the very same reason of mankind's imagination is always evil. Now that reason for the destruction now becomes a reason to make a covenant to never again annihilate all, all living creatures and to set the rebound light rainbow as a sign to the covenant. And all of this happened because Noah built an altar and brought a sacrifice. Why? So, Maimonides introduces the laws of building the holy temple with, and I quote to you, it is a positive commandment, a to do, positive commandment to construct the house for God prepared for sacrifices to be offered within. Thus, Maimonides holds that the primary vessel of the entire holy temple was the altar, which, by the way, is in contrast to other opinions that it is the holy ark and the holy of holies that held the two tablets that Moses brought down from heaven that is the primary vessel of the holy temple. So, Maimonides' opinion is the altar because that's where the sacrifices are brought. Let's give a look into this altar. Concerning the place of the altar of the holy temple, our sages tell us that when in creating mankind in Genesis, the verse tells us, and I quote, and the, and the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. What do the sages say about that? They say, he took his dust from the place of which it is said in Ezekiel, you shall make me an altar of earth. Then it goes on to say, if only it would be an atonement for him, 
so that he might endure. Thus God saying, I am making him from the place, the earth of the altar. Now look what else the sages say. In Bereshish Rabbah it says, Rabbi Barachia and Rabbi Chelbo, in the name of Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmeni, just telling you who said it, said, quote, from the place of his atonement was he created. Aha. So now we see that the altar is all about atonement. And what do we do on the atonement? We what do we do on the altar? We bring sacrifices. And therefore, the process of a sacrifice is to bring atonement. Therefore, there's an interesting law that a sacrifice needs semicha. Now, what is semicha? So I'll tell you what Maimonides explains in the laws of the sacrifices. Quote, how is smicha performed? He should place both his hands between its two horns and recite the appropriate confession. He, confessions, he, the, he confesses the sin. Next law. How does he confess? He says, I sinned, I transgressed, I committed iniquity, and I did this and this. He has to say exactly what the sin was. And I have repented before you, and this is my atonement. Our sages speak very harshly of one who brings a sacrifice but does not repent. So now we understand that Noah's building an altar and bringing a sacrifice was all about Noah doing teshuvah. He was returning to God. He was repenting. Torah, let's understand now what this means. So we have this service of Torah study and doing good deeds. Now, Torah and its commandments were given to us by God from above to below and are therefore the service to God of the straight light. When we study Torah and when we do mitzvot, we are serving God connecting to the straight light. However, teshuvah is the service from below to above, originating in the heart of the person and from there yearning and returning upward to God. Thus, teshuvah is the service of the rebound light. And it is precisely the service of the rebound light that Noah was doing, which reached into the place within God, so to speak, of forgiveness and compassion, bringing forth a covenant to never again annihilate all living creatures. Why? Because once Teshuva connected Noah with the compassion, therefore compassion de demands that precisely because humans are innately with evil imaginations, because of the evil inclination that God places within us, that God should look away, forgive, guide, and help us return to Him and His will. Thus, concerning the great reach of the rainbow, the rebound light, the service of from below to above, the service of teshuva, Ezekiel in his sublime vision of the chariot states, and I quote to you from Ezekiel chapter 1 of this amazing um, prophecy, vision of the chariot, I quote, Like the appearance of the rainbow that is in the cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness round about 
that was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And thus it is within the power of the reach of the rainbow that surpasses even what King David says in Psalms, he made darkness his hiding place. And therefore, it has the power to have darkness transformed to light. And thus we have the covenant. This is the secret of the rainbow which was placed in the positive clouds of and a mist ascended from the earth, which represents the service of Teshuvah. In closing, in closing, we can now understand the effect of clouds upon our moods in making us more introspective rather than extroversive, being that it is the service of Teshuvah, repentance, now, this speaks not of melancholy as sadness and negative, as we are not speaking of the dark clouds, but of the positive clouds of light, hope, and return. Thank you.